Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And one day I'm going to make someone else host this show just to, to <laughs> take it up for everybody. Um, what do I want to say today to start? We're in the new year. We're recording this in the new year. I can't believe we're recording this in January. It's almost over, which seems insanely wild. Um, there's a new president. There's new COVID things going on. There's there's so much that we could dive into. Um, I think the thing that I would that I would share coming into this conversation is I have been having um, so much of my life shift because of the work that I've done on this podcast and outside where I'm talking to people who have very different lives than myself, whether it be the um, their gender, their race, their religion, the way they identify sexually. It has opened up. I didn't think that I would have this experience like I didn't know what would happen by having conversations on this podcast, but with clients and out in the world. Mm -hmm. But as I look now and go, man, I look back to like, let's say a year ago, my life is actually as a byproduct is like more. It's like, I know myself better because I'm like understanding other people better. And sometimes I think people are afraid to really understand the plight of others because maybe they feel guilty or they should do something. And it, I don't, I can't tell you why you should do it. If you're listening, like why you should want to understand people that are different than you. But all I can share with you is how rewarding it's become. And that wasn't on purpose. Like I didn't do this to, to get something for myself. I did this cause I thought I wanted to be like a better human. Um, but it's, it's like come full circle. And uh, my experience of myself is so much more loving. And I think it's because I like went out and kind of got to love other people for who they are and not having us all be the same or needing people to be a certain way. Um, this ties us in a little bit to our guest today. Now, he he's so, there's so many things I can say about him. I don't, I almost don't even know where to start. But let's let's start with this. He's an actor. And he's an author. He wrote a book called Mind Control. He's a DEI consultant. So if, you're, if you don't know what DEI is, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, or it's diversity, equality, and inclusion. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker. He's been featured in or on BET, Comedy Central, PBS, Amazon Prime, Black Enterprise, He's had print campaigns for Walmart, Ross stores, Burlington, and others. Seems like he's everywhere. He's been a 40 under 40. He's got a key to a city. I don't even know what that means. I want a key <laughs> to a city. Um, and we're going to have to talk about that. And he was a Black Enterprise 2019 Man of Distinction. 
my guest today, I feel like I'm so fortunate to be with him because I feel like we're also going to learn a lot from him. Justin Key, how you doing, man? Thanks for being here. I'm doing good. Alex, I'm sure you've heard this before, but Alex Terranova is such a cool name. Like <laughs> it just falls trippingly off the tongue. So that's just, I just wanted to say it. I could see it. I, I can see it on the headline. Thank you. I've, I've been, you know, I never, I never really liked my name growing up. I, mean, I, I felt like Alex wasn't, it didn't feel like who I was supposed to be. Um, as I've gotten older, it's become less like I, it's not going to waste my time thinking about that. But I do often hear that like people will say, did you make up your name? It sounds like an actor name or a coaching name. Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope. Uh, it's what my, it's all of my parents doing. Right. It's, I mean, especially since you're uh, an LA native too. So it was like, you know, is that a thing there? <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately it's not. Unfortunately or fortunately. Um, right. What do we, Aside from like, I just kind of hit your highlight reel. What do you want people to know about you that I didn't say? I would say I'm just a, I'm just a country farm boy living in the big city. Like I dared to make my dreams a reality. And though that you know, it sounds extremely cliche, but when you realize growing up on a farm and I'm the eighth of nine kids. So I grew up on a farm farm in Tennessee. And so I always dreamt of living in California before I even knew how to spell California. It was, of course, because of, we had an old floor model television, so we didn't have like the cable and things of that nature on the farm, but the Saved by the Bells and the show, all the shows, it seemed like all the shows that I fell in love with as a kid were based in California. So I didn't, I didn't care how I got here. I knew that I was meant to live in California, live in Los Angeles. And so ma making that happen, from a small farm town in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it's, it can happen. I always say, if I can do it, you can do it. And I hear that often, but I'm like, I had no rich uncles, no rich parents, um, no trust fund. Um, I had a tractor, some pigs, some cows, and acres of farmland. That's all. And if I could do it, anyone could definitely do it as well. You're, you're speaking my language because you brought up Saved by the Bell. And I am in my book, uh, fictional authenticity. I talk about how like those types of shows impacted me so much and how as a little boy, all I wanted to be was Zach Morris. And, <laughs> yes, yes. and, and, and like, there were other things, right? Like when I found out I, my family was Italian, I was like, Oh, I got super into Godfather and mafia movies. And I wanted, mm -hmm. and it was like, Zach Morris wasn't tough and I had kind of a scary dad. So I wanted to be tougher. So it was like, you know, I, I would, subconsciously as a little boy put the pieces together. I was like, well, if I make myself like this and I make myself like this. And then a lot of my book is about how I grew up and realized like, who the hell am I? I'm just like this mm. conglomeration of media influences. And I had to deconstruct that. Um, also, when you take a look back at Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris is kind of a shitty guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I can't believe that's who we all wanted to be. Now, look at it now. I don't know if you can tell Alex, but I'm, I'm black. So I was like, I can be Lisa Turtle's little brother. Um, I can be her cousin that comes to visit and stay there. I was literally trying to cast myself sure. from Tennessee to Saved by the Bell. Just any way to get at Bayside High. <laughs> that's funny. It's, it's, um, Oh, it's so funny that you, when you, I want to touch on this for a second. So when you think back at your childhood, you were influenced by similar things because of media, but also by different things because you grew up on a farm in Tennessee. What did you think your life, like, what was it like to be you, right? You're, you said one of what, eight or nine? Uh, yeah, I'm the eighth of nine kids. Mm -hmm. So to be one of nine 
on a small farm in Tennessee, a black man seeing these, you know, the images that most of what come through your TV are probably mostly white people. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like growing up like in that, like inside of you in that situation? I I would say, you know, it's, it's all that we knew. It's, it's all that we knew. So I didn't know any different, you know, I knew that I was, you know, black clearly, but somehow I didn't know that I couldn't do it. So I went on, I went on that. And of course, you know, you never saw, I never saw black people on, on television. And then a show that of course, being from the South that my parents repeatedly watched was in the heat of the night. And so when when the detective came and he was black and to this southern town where it was all white people and i was like oh my goodness and so just like seeing like so then you know diversity in television started coming up a little bit more a little bit more but it was they were older it was no one younger there was no one young and so i was like gee whiz like if i wanted to really live this life and mind you i'm having these these daydreams while I'm on the tractor cutting grass or picking corn. And so I'm like, wow, I really want that life. Like, I really want that life. Maybe if I go to LA, they'll see me and they'll be like, ah, Justin, now we can change the game. Like I, I dreamt in color. I, I dreamt in high definition. And so that really blocked out anything that I didn't see because I filled in all the pieces. And so that helped me to really chart the path that I did. Did your, were your parents part of the influence that had you, you know, this idea that like, Hey, you could actually do it. Right. You, I love that You're like, I was picking corn, but then you left and went to LA, which a lot of people dream about doing and they never do it. What, what did, what did you learn about kind of this idea that like to be fearless, to try things, to, to, um, to believe in yourself? You know, I, I would first say, uh, my parents had no idea. Um, um, I think they, they had no idea how to react because, you know, they had, you know, eight other kids and they're trying <laughs> to figure out why, did, why is this one trying to do it? Because back home, especially like in a farm town, you graduate from high school, you either work on the farm or you get a job at the, at a, like a local factory. Because in my hometown, we have a Kellogg's factory. Um, and at noon, every single day, our our town smells like blueberry waffles, the most incredible thing in the world. And so now you got this kid who's like, I'm moving to Hollywood and I'm going to be a star. And, and my parents, once again, you grew up on a farm, you're in a small town, just like, I think they were so shocked that they didn't have, they, like, they had no negative words to say. You know, a lot of people in town were like, Hollywood, well, what you know about, have you been on a plane before? Like, you know, just all of these different things. And so my parents, I took my, I look, I personally took my parents' silence as a yes. (laughs) So, um, and so because then as I started, like my first job in LA as an actor, I was the face, I booked a five-year campaign to be the face of Walmart. And so if you know anything about the South, this level is God and this level is Walmart. So they were like, oh my goodness, his very first job, I always knew it. And so from then on, everyone has been extremely, extremely supportive of me. 
They always knew it, right? Like, yeah, they, they always like, boy, when I saw you riding that horse in the back, I always knew you was going to be a star. Like, mm, I'm sure you did. Mm-hmm. How is it now when you, what's your relationship like? Because now you've seen, the, you, you, I know you've lived in Los Angeles for a while. So what, when you go back, when you're interacting with your brothers and sisters and your parents, like what have you noticed has shifted because of this new world that you've essentially lived in and experienced? I So I think completely different. So and let's just first start with food. So my mom's a retired chef. So now, and, and you're from you're from California. So you you you'll get this, Alec. So now I go. I'm like, oh, mom, can you use kosher salt? Oh, oh, can you use ground turkey in, instead of beef? And my sister's like, get the hell out of the kitchen. Let mama cook. So now I'm bringing this like California lifestyle to them, and so they're like. Uh, we don't want any part of this. You know, if you're going to come here, I need you to acclimate to us. And then just, you know, just like different things and, you know, drinking alkaline water. Mom was like, why are you drinking Alka-Seltzer water? I said, mama, it's alkaline <laughs> water. And so they make fun of me. Apparently I talk different now uh, after being here for so long. And of course, and going to school for acting and having to manipulate my Southern dialect so that I can, mm-hmm. can act professionally. So a lot of times they do look at me as if I'm a unicorn because I sound different. I talk different, um, look a little different. According to Southern folk, if you're not a good 200 pounds, you're, you're, you're definitely thin. So they was like, boy, you need to eat something. I'm like, I eat. Well, stop working out so much. Well, mama, you know, that's the lifestyle. I love it. I love running. So even when I go home for a holiday or, or, or even just a trip, like I'll wake up and go running in the morning. It was like, no, why are you running around the town? You're going to be scared, folks. I was, so just like, just like, it's a, Alex, it's a whole different, I promise you, it's a whole different world, yeah. a whole different world. And I love every bit of it. And I know you got, I mentioned that before we should touch on, because you have a key to the city or you got, some, what is, you hear about that, right? you hear that in like Hallmark movies. So what, what does it mean for real? And why, why would, why were you even up for this? So Alex, craziest thing in the world. So I, I was asked to come home to 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 give a keynote address at one of the town's galas. And so, you know, it's southern town, the county's gala. So it's like for, it's like the bee's knees of southern life and southern culture. So and I hadn't met any of these people from the county. It was like all the business owners and honestly, 95 percent white. So and that was that particular thing. So I go there. So they, they invite me to come speak. And I was like, OK, great. And so one of one of the larger community churches like, oh, well, since you already be in town to speak on Saturday, do you also mind speaking at our church on Sunday? So I was like, okay, a lot of speaking for the weekend. You know, I'm an actor. This is what we do. Of course I can do it. So Sunday, I and and they was like, oh, we're gonna get the mayor to do remarks. And I was like, oh, great. I haven't met the mayor in person before. So, and I'm pretty active back home. And you know, I always I always raise money for organizations. Whenever I go back, I speak at the high schools, the elementary schools, and the middle middle schools. So I I'm around when I go back home, and so I'm there. So I speak, stand an ovation, hoopla hoopla. The mayor comes up to give her remarks, and the mayor said, you know, with the you know with the power invested in me, with the city of Rossville, I now want to present Justin with the key to the city. And then I also want, and and from henceforth, February 24th will be Justin Key Day. And so there was a hush in the entire church. And so just 
it went over my head. Like I was like, what did she just say? And so then I looked to try to find my mom and my dad in the audience. And so I looked back and I finally locked eyes with them and they were like, and I was like, so their reaction was not helping me whatsoever. So then I looked and I, so I have a set of twin sisters, identical twins. So I looked and found their eyes and they were like, get up, get up. And I was like, oh, and so when I stood up, everyone clapped. And so I was like, what? The key to the city, my own day, like Zach Morris didn't get this. What is this? I haven't seen this on a movie. What are you talking about? And so it's, it was surreal. It was one of the most emotional moments of my life because everyone was there. Everyone in my, my principal from high school was there. My teachers were there, cousins, every family members, uh, it, it was just such a surreal moment. And so I guess what that means, I mean, all the mayors in the entire county, which I think is like maybe six different cities and towns, they were like, oh, if you ever need anything, Justin, you know, let me know. I mean, I haven't needed anything, but it's it's great to to know that if I ever did, they're there. Yeah. What did they was there something was there like a specific reason that they you know like it was there an accomplishment that you've done or certain you know i i mean maybe they just did it for the walmart commercial but i feel like they so, were doing more than that what was it got for? it yes so so alex i do raise a lot of money for back home okay and for all the organizations i raise scholarships i connect the the schools and the organizations with people not only in memphis because because you know i'm Rossville is about 30 minutes outside of Memphis. So with my connections at FedEx, as FedEx is headquartered in Memphis. And so I, and also for the city of Memphis, I got top 40 under 40. Okay. So I'm heavily connected and I am not stingy with my resources and coming from a farm town, I'm making sure the kids, you know, know that there are other professions that they can, that they can um, aspire to go after. Um, I'm getting organizations money, donations. I'm connecting churches with organizations that can help them. You know, I'm I'm doing all of these different things. Why? It's because that's what I wanted as a child. Yeah. Like I I wanted and needed all of these different things. Like I would be Googling as a child when our school finally got computers. I think I was maybe in eighth or ninth grade. And I was Googling like who um celebrities from Tennessee. And I was like, okay, all these people are old. So I was like, young celebrities. And <laughs> interestingly, I was like, Reese Witherspoon. And, you know, she wasn't the Reese Witherspoon sure. then. She had just moved in. So I was like, oh my goodness, what if I had that type of connection or influence as a child? How much further would I be right now? And so now I provide those opportunities. And of course, and I'm very proud of where I come from. So at every interview in Hollywood, I'm like, shout out to Rossville, Tennessee. And everybody's like, what, who, where? And so it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. So I definitely give, as the old Southern folks say, I definitely give my hometown their roses now. Nice. Um, yeah. And so how I many, think, I think, yeah, all of that. How many, how many people live, like how big, how small, I should say, is this town? Is Rossville? <laughs> Less than a thousand. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Is it, and is it like primarily like, what's the diversity? In that. You know, I would say it is, it, it's about 50, 50, 50, okay. 50% white, 50% black, 
the one thing about it, you can see the economic disparages between between the two. And so that's that's another part of where I come in and where I talk to the businesses and where I use my MBA in entrepreneurship to talk to the black business owners on how to scale and and how to you know, invest in other products, how to diversify, how to use the power of the web. And interestingly enough, and, you know, they see me as the actor, but then I come in and, you know, talk entrepreneurship. But one thing that works well, because I'm from there, I speak the language, I don't talk down to them, which is what happens to a lot of Southerners, you know, even moving to Los Angeles and having a very thick Southern farm dialect. Like I was looked at really crazy. And I had multiple degrees by the time I moved to LA, but that didn't matter. The way that I spoke, um, it it demoted people, it demoted me in other people's eyes. And so now when I go home, you know, I'm talking to the same people who I delivered corn and greens and peas to as a kid or their grandkids. And, you know, people's like, well, you know, that's your cousin. And so like, I'm hugging all these little kids. And by the way, I'm allergic to children. Um, I'm, you know, self-diagnosed, but allergic to children. But I, I give them their their energy when I when I do see them. So, it's a it's a very interesting uh, time and observation, you know, coming from a town like that, and to now live, I guess, how I live now. What do and what like what do people not realize that you encounter in like small towns like that? You know, I I don't know about you, like when I growing up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get to see or experience a lot of like racism or prejudice, you know, for the Mm -hmm. most part, Los Angeles is pretty like progressive and whatnot. Um, And people that would have those beliefs would probably keep them privately, right? I'm not saying they don't exist, but they probably (laughs) would keep them. But I do remember like, in elementary school, it was probably, I don't know, you know, growing up in West LA, probably like 75% white. There was like Mm -hmm. a handful of Asian kids. a bunch of like Hispanic and Latino kids were bussed in from other areas of LA. Mm-hmm. And then I remember specifically there was one black kid. And now when I look right, when I was a kid, I didn't think of it like that. It wasn't like, oh, there's one black kid. Now I look back and I'm like, man, that would that had to be so challenging for him. Right. And and who knows what he was thinking? I don't want, but I remember I've I think I've talked about this on this podcast before. He, when he came to the school, he was the bully. And when I look back, I'm like, of course he was the bully. He probably was so scared because nobody looked like him. The teachers didn't look like him. The kids didn't look like him. The nobody that he probably was like in his survival, you know, mode. And um, he, we ended up him and, you know, he ended up becoming friends. Me and him ended up becoming friends because I thought he was a bully and I stood up to the bully and then (laughs) realized he's not a bully. He's a nice guy. And, um, but I like, when I think about, you know, you go to Tennessee in the same time period, right? Even now. Mm-hmm. And those experiences have got to be so much different. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any, you know, is there a, was there a moment or a time where you got to experience like racism or like, Hey, the world isn't like, Hey, that guy over there that looks like Zach Morris, like he, mm-hmm. he has it actually different than me. Now, interestingly enough, Alex, I didn't experience racism because we stayed in our own, mm. our own little cul-de-sac, if you will, our own mm. world. We didn't interact too much. Like the town cafe is where my 
this is where my first job was and I was a bus boy. And so that was the most I've ever seen people not black. And so that was, so I, I didn't experience it. In, I mean, once again, because I mean, I'm a farm or in a farm town, we didn't venture out. I guess everybody knew the lane that they had to stay in. So I grew up pretty confident in my, in my blackness. I even went to in an HBCU, which is historically black college and university in Memphis. So once again, majority black people, it wasn't interesting enough until I moved to Los Angeles. And so moved to Los Angeles to go to school again for acting. And majority of the, the college was white. Mm-hmm. And so the very, Alex, the very first day of class, after a weekend of orientation, the very first day of class, the teacher said, and this is at eight o'clock in the morning, and so three, three black people in the class total was me and two other girls. And then the rest of the class was white. And so the teacher said, well, as actors, you have to have a great sense of observation. And you spent all weekend with each other. What are some of your observations? Who would like to go first to be observed? And, you know, me, I'm like, oh, well, a lot of, a lot of my classmates were straight from high school. I had just graduated from college. I was like, oh, you know, I'll go first. And they was like, oh, so they was like, so who would you, so so anyone, what have you observed about Justin this weekend? Alex, so a classmate raised his hand and was like, well, what I've observed about Justin this weekend is that Justin is very whitewashed. He seemed like he grew up in a very affluent family and he hasn't spent much time around black people. And so now I got, I got the I got the ending part, but I didn't know what because whenever when he said whitewashed, the entire class gasped. The teacher was clutching her pearls. And once again, I haven't grown up around white people, so I had no idea what that meant. So I looked and locked, and this is something that black people do. I looked and I locked eyes with the two black girls. I was like, what does that mean? Like, how am I supposed to react to it? So I, and they were like, I know he didn't. And so I was like, and so the teacher was like trying, not trying to, you know, get the class wrangled back together. I was like, Justin, so from the observation that was just made, how would you like to respond? And so I could only respond to the ending part because I didn't know what whitewash meant because I've only been around black people. And so I said, well, I grew up on a farm with my eight siblings in a two-bedroom trailer. So that kind of not shows affluence because we would, I'm assuming, would have a bigger property. And I went to an HBCU, which some may not know with historically Black College University, which means that 90 plus percent of the institution is, they're Black. And so if this is, and so this is me being, the, the the nerdy um petty person so if his if his observations dictates whether he's going to be successful as an actor then i don't think he will be and the class erupted and laughed and i was like because i mean i just did not know and sure. then my first ever experience with law enforcement was in the pacific palisades so at the time i was driving a Sky blue Mercedes. And we should we should just say for people listening that have gone oh. on Los Angeles, Pacific Palisades is like if you go basically all the way west to the beach, 
to like Santa Monica, Venice Beach, and then you basically go north. It's like before you would hit like Malibu, it's kind of an, a very affluent majority like white community that's absolutely beautiful and stunning, mm-hmm. but it's also like a little isolated. It kind of has its own little pocket. And uh, um, but yeah, majority white affluent community. Yeah. And I was going to see a client. And so my mom called and I just pulled over and I'm, a, I'm perhaps not even a block away from the house. So I pulled over. And so I'm talking to my mom because, you know, she calls and she just talks. She doesn't say, what are you doing? Or, or am I, am, am I, am I bugging you? No, she just starts talking. So now I'm talking to my mom pulled over and it's the, it's in the neighborhood. And then I'm in, I'm in the neighborhood every week. So, and then I see the police behind me and I'm just like, Maybe they're going to another house. I'm not even thinking anything about it. And so then they come up to the window and I said, oh, mom, let me let me call you back. The the police is at my window. The police? I thought you pulled over. I was like, I was. OK, I'll call you back, mom. And so the police officer asked me, um, why was I in the neighborhood? Uh, um, asked me, where was I going? And I, And I needed to provide him with the address. And so I was like, and I didn't know the address off the top of my head because I go there every week. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, so I was like, uh, I don't have the address, but you can follow me to the house if you would like. And he said, oh, I definitely will. And I was like, what is going? And I'm, and I, it went there, I'm like, and the, just the, the aggression and I am blown away, blown away. And so I drive to the client's house. I get out and he's, he's, he's watching me the entire time and watch, watches me walk in. And so then I told the clients, I was like, yeah, this, I said, this officer um, came up to my car, followed me to your house, watched me walk in. And I said, it was extremely rude. And so, and of course, you know, they, they know the chief of police. So they called immediately um, to, um, to rectify the situation. And they were livid. They were, live in. I think their I think their babysitter at the time was also a person of color who was also um targeted by this particular officer. And so it wasn't their first time calling to complain. So very interestingly enough, my interactions about my blackness have only been in California, which is you know and once again California is very progressive. Yeah. Um, in some instances, I'm I'm finding out not so much as I originally thought. Yeah, I think I mean I think with that thing what I was saying before is there are certain places where it's like acceptable to be overtly racist, right? Like you could go to some places and mm-hmm. you know I've never been in a spot where you saw like you know I know my my mom told me stories about certain places of California. My mom grew up in California and she told me stories about there were certain trips that her and her sister and my grandparents would go on that they would literally see signs on the door in California that said no blacks, Jews, or dogs. And and this is not that long ago. And we're talking about like the 50s, the 60s, right? It's not mm-hmm. like hundreds and hundreds of years ago or anything. Um you know, I've never seen anything like that in, in California, but I, I've been to the South and I've seen things in the South that, that are, you know, we're like, whoa, this is like very overt, but I do the, what I've learned is there's still like so much of the, the, the 
let's just say prejudice, you know, prejudice bias that is like untalked about. Hey, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm going to keep it in my house. I'm going to keep it like for silence <laughs> yeah. or I'm going to use my power and my influence in that way. Um, but yeah, it's not as overt as like the, that experience with the police officer. Um, I'm curious about it, how it is. And because you're, you're an actor, you're an author, you're, you know, you're, you're speaking, you're also a DEI consultant. What do you see in Hollywood? What's the experience of, you know, of being a black man in Hollywood, you know, different than maybe what you think maybe your counterparts experience? Being black in Hollywood, Alex, is, is like an obstacle course. Uh, there can't be too many of us. I, I've noticed that we have to look and act a certain way. There are certain boxes that we have to tick. We either have, we either have to be the non-threatening good guy, the nerd, or the thug, because um, you have to be able to, you have to be able to fit those who fit the stereotype. And then the one percenters who are the Denzel Washingtons who can do it all. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's seen so much, like even when you think of the pay gap in Hollywood, when you think like, you know, when Sony was, when, when Sony was hacked several years ago, and then they, they, the hackers brought out the pay disparage between not only whites and blacks, but also, you know, men and women. And it was mind boggling. So the pay is also is also an issue. The opportunities are are an issue, and then the exposure. Like we're not exposed to to all the different amenities that our white counterparts are exposed to, and the opportunities that they have. And so it's trying to be in this industry and not become jaded. And but I'm now at the point now I don't want to see at your table. I'm I'm gonna build my own table. And luckily I grew up on a farm, so we built our own picnic tables as a kid. I'm building my own table. I want my own chair. I don't want to be anywhere where I'm not welcomed. And also, who says that that's the standard? Mm -hmm. And so this this statistics just even came out. Yesterday, just came out yesterday from the economic economists from the U.S. government that if there was if, if there was equitable pay for black and brown people in the U.S., we would add seven trillion dollars to the economy. What you mean paying us an equitable wage would actually do some good? I'm like. And and I'm thinking I'm like a lot of people here are capitalists. I'm like, yeah. you love money. <laughs> Why are you not giving us opportunities? Like we're bringing in money. And so I'm thinking now is prejudice and racism now top tier and money now comes second? I don't, I don't know. And, you know, we're still finding things out. We're still, um, you know, fighting the good fight of faith and diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in Hollywood. When you, besides that financial piece, which is, Man, I would love to. I want. I'm gonna look that up because that is like. I mean, whatever it is, right? If then, if you know, it, it, it's clear and it's obvious that obviously, if you pay people more money, more money goes into the economy. There's more. They have, people have more money to spend, right? Like it, it's. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it makes perfect sense. And like, if you do that with, right, with all the groups that have those pay disparities, but from a, I love the idea, like as a DEI consultant, there's people that want to be better. They're clearly like, Hey, I want to be better. I want to improve. I want to, I want to have empathy. I have compassion. And then there's people that are like, let's say like right behind, maybe like in the middle, which is probably Mm -hmm. most people that really don't understand. They're like, I don't know what, I don't see racism or I don't see color or I'm not biased. And, and science has shown that this is not true. Like, like people, Mm -hmm. we're just not, we're just not aware and that's okay. But Mm -hmm. I think the cool thing about DEI and and coaching and like what I do is we help people see things that they haven't seen before. What do you think when you look at Hollywood and DEI, besides that adding in revenue, What's the upside? Like, why would people that are that are in Hollywood or in any industry really like want to create more space for diversity, um, uh, equality, and inclusion? So, thinking uh, well outside of the the whole money aspect, the entertainment industry is not and has not been created for a specific demographic. And then when you do think about it who are the who are the audiences um you know entertainment is multicultural so you see now that when allowing these different projects you know and, and it's not just to be entertained it is to be informed it is to showcase other cultures entertain the entertainment industry is not just to make someone feel good the entertainment industry hits so many different facets and there's no way that you can hit all of these facets by just focusing on one demographic. And then when you look at who are the top consumers as well. And so you have to think, you have to think about that. You're providing a living, the, the entertainment industry pushes the economy forward in so many different ways. Um, you know, not only hiring, but also telling the different stories of so many different demographics, um, informing them on so many different things, exposing them to t- so many different cultures. So the entertainment industry has a very important role to play in getting out information. And so getting and the thing about it, it's not just getting out information, it's getting out accurate information. And so the entertainment industry should do that because that's really the basis. It was literally not created just to just to um, entertain one demographic. So if you're going, if you're going to really stay on that foundation, then you have to do what's needed. And as the and as the industry and as the world evolves, then the industry should mirror that. And if it doesn't mirror that, then it's going to it's not going to exist. And if it doesn't go, if it's not going to exist, then whatever you think you've created is going to cease to exist. In my opinion, yeah. You you just made me think of something too, which is I tell people when 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 we're really able to travel again, right? People are all mm-hmm. excited to travel. And I often have conversations with people and they tell me about, you know, places they want to go. And I'm like, oh, the last place I want to go is like Western Europe. And people are like shocked, right? People love like going to these. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how many more churches can I see? Like how many more of the, there's nothing wrong. These things are beautiful mm-hmm. architecture and there's lots of like great food and whatnot. But it's, the thing is, it's, it's this, it's like same, same, same with slight differences. Mm-hmm. If I go to Africa or Asia or India, the things I'm going to see are going to be so different 
Mm-hmm. And like, look, if I always went to India, it's going to be the same thing. Well, how, you know, whatever, how many Hindu statues can I see? Right. It's But right. I, when you made me think like that same thing is like, if we, if the, if the lens of entertainment or any business is like a, a singular focused lens, the white experience, mm-hmm. the white man experience, like whatever, um, you run there, you actually get the same thing over and over again. A great example of that is like Hallmark movies, right? They're all yeah. the same movie with like a different girl, a different girl, different guy falling in love, like whatever, right? And look, if you like that, that's great, right? But mm-hmm. it's limiting in the sense of there's only so much range. Um, correct. And I think back to even when I was a kid, you know, I don't know how this, I remember like being a kid and um, being able to listen to so many different kinds of music and not thinking of it as like a race thing. Right. Like I remember Mm -hmm. like the early Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and like I'm a little white kid, like listening to this, I didn't know what they were like, you know, it's like, maybe you think, you know, but I don't know their experiences. And I wonder like in different places, how, like, I felt very free that I could listen to like whatever I wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool, right? Because it's like you get to experience all things. But I also wonder like how many people didn't get opportunities to create their music because it didn't fit inside of so and such box or they weren't in a place that like gave them that space. Yeah, correct. They were perhaps in Rossville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting thing. And once again, entertainment has a way of breaking down those levees so that, you know, a little white kid from West LA could hear music from different experiences. And what it is, is preparing us for the world that we're living in. So when you go to Western Europe or Johannesburg or Shanghai or Taipei or Paris, all of these people, you're going to realize you all have something in common, whether you like a certain song, certain genres, certain music, certain fashion, and entertainment has brought that here. And so I think it's, it's, it's another incredible way of connecting us globally. Yeah. It, it definitely does give us right when you see concerts and you see like mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, right. Is like the, the, the master of that. It's like, you could take Michael Jackson anywhere in the world and people were in like his music could connect with anyone ever. And there's other people mm-hmm. like that, obviously. Yeah. Um, and there's, I'm, and there's actors like that and whatnot. Um, what do you think is like your next big challenge obstacle? What's the next big mountain that you're either fo- you're either climbing or focused on climbing? <laughs> that was a very good question. <clears throat> Something that I really don't talk about often. I am a third year doctoral student. So yeah. I am finishing up my dissertation. That is my next. What are you uh, well, on? What's um, your doctorate? What's the subject? Um, motion picture production and distribution. So I am staying within the realm of entertainment business. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's exciting because I've done all of this in front of the camera work. And now my mind is blown, Alex, on what goes on behind the camera before I get to set, while I'm on set, after I'm off set, when the television show actually airs and what happens a few years afterwards. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, it was, I mean, acting is really the the tip of the iceberg. 
literally the tip of the iceberg because all these other different components and you know when you think about distribution and how much things are cost and who's pricing it so that's where i'm focused on so i am now in the beginning stages of my research and starting to i will be starting writing next month that's a big deal mm -hmm. i'm excited I'm, I'm 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 so geeked about it i mean i mean yeah it's a method to the madness what I didn't know you could get a doctorate in, in like this. I mean, there's tons of, I, I learned recently you can become, you know, a, you can get doctorates in so many fields that I had no idea. Um, what yeah, do so you, my, my doctorate is in business. Oh, okay. It's a business. Okay. With a focus on entertainment. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you hope to, when you're complete, when it's done and you, and we can call you Dr. Justin Key, what do you hope that provides? What what's difference is that going to make in your life or other people's lives? For for me, it is going to allow me to see things through a different lens. I've been so narrowly focused with just being an actor to the point where I've, I'm pretty sure I missed on so many different opportunities because I was unable to speak the language. I was unable to see what others were creating. Like, you know, being asked, oh, Justin, you should really produce this or you should really do that. And I was like, oh, no, I want to stay in my lane. So now my lane has expanded. And so also what it would do for others, I will now be able to translate and to translate to other artists and other creatives on how they can have a more expansive career. And so I'm really, really excited about that, to be able to take what I've learned and translate it into a language that is more comfortable, more digestible, where I'm not talking down to actors, very similar to what I do with um, my fellow Rossville natives. When I go back home and I'm able to say, hey, do X, Y, and Z. They trust me. I'm one of them. I speak the language. And so now doing what I did for my, the people in my hometown, for now others in the entertainment industry. Is there anything you want as we kind of get here to the end and wrap up? Is there anything you want, you know, that I didn't touch on that anything you really, you know, maybe wanted to say or share or talk about, um, you know, last word. I would say, and this, this goes hand in hand with Shonda Rhimes, book, um, the year of yes, That's I great. would say, take, take a moment. I mean, you don't have to do a year like she did, but <laughs> you can do a month or even six months and just say yes to everything and not not to the point where it's going to be detrimental but to the point where it is going to introduce you to things that you didn't know existed opportunities that you didn't know that were even um present for you so just just say yes say yes to everything for you know, you get a, get a time frame, but say yes. And I guarantee you, your world and your mindset is going to expand tremendously. That's awesome. She also has, if, if you don't want to read the book, Year of Yes, if you're not a reader, she has so many um, interviews she's done where she breaks it down. Like I've, I, I heard it for the first time, probably four or five years ago. Um, a podcast with her where she talked about that journey of saying yes and why she did it and what it opened up for her and how it changed her entire life. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's I love that. Thanks for throwing that in, um, Justin. Thanks for being here. It's like such a pleasure to be with you. Um, there's so much joy and possibility and exuberance and vulnerability. You know, we didn't know 
you and I had not met before this conversation. Um, you're so, you're so easy to be with in the sense of like, I'm like, man, I, I could literally ask you anything. Um, and I also could trust that you were going to like be real and bring, you know, your truth, um, to this show and this audience. So I just, thanks for the courage to do that. And the courage to do all this DEI work, like to not just be quote unquote, an actor, but like be doing work that is supporting communities and people writing a book that will, you know, impact or is, is impacting people's lives. Um, and I love that you continue to grow yourself. Like, I think whether it be through education or reading or, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations like human beings, like if we're not growing and we're not put, you know, expanding who we are, we are slowly dying. Um, so thanks for modeling that. I want to tell people where they can like find you too. Um, your book is called Mind Control. Is it Mind Control book or just Mind Control? Mind Control. Okay. Um, and it's a self-help guide that centers around living a life without limits and not putting restrictions on one's given talents, gifts, and personality. Um, if they go to Justin dot or Justin D, the letter D key, K-E-Y dot com, right? They can find the book. They yeah. can find all the things about you. You're on Twitter at Justin Key 101, Facebook, Justin Key 101, Instagram, Justin Key 101. Like they're keeping it consistent. Mm -hmm. um, any other way, if anyone wants to reach out to you, talk to you, any like, no, that, that those are those are the channels. I'm and I and I respond back. You know, I'm I'm a Southern country guy, so you know, I, I I'm respectful of everyone's time and energy. Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you on Instagram right now. We'll see if you've not. Justin. Dustin, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you again. And everyone listening, just, you know, I, I know that there's value in every one of these episodes and everyone that shows up here and gives their, their wisdom, their story, their experience with you. Um, and please, who do, who do you know that needs to hear this episode that it would actually make a real big difference in their life? Please share it with them and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.